0: Welcome to ScentCast, the official podcast of the United States Central Command, America's premier warfighting headquarters. Coming to you from Tampa Bay, Florida, with your host, Joe Puccino. Hey, Joe Puccino here, back with ScentCast. Very special guest, a great leader, somebody I've really wanted to have on this show, people have recommended we have on the show, and that's Navy Fleet Master Chief Derek Walters, Fleet You are the command senior enlisted leader for CENTCOM. You're a Navy SEAL, I believe the longest serving enlisted Navy SEAL right now. I think I am, actually. And, you know, we can go through all your credits, but you have just an incredible history here, an incredible legacy, SEAL Team 8, SEAL Team 2. I know you don't like folks talking about your legacy or kind of praising your career, but it's been a a remarkable, almost like a once-in-a-lifetime career you've had.
1: Yeah, 35-plus years, so I'll be coming up on 36 years of service. Of course, the majority of it has been spent within the Naval Special Warfare community, as you alluded to. I had the opportunity to serve at both SEAL Team 8, SEAL Team 2 for many years, as well as at our schoolhouse there in San Diego, California, as well as being the Force Master Chief for all of Naval Special Warfare. So, yeah, it's been great. And for those listening, you know, Fleet kind of
0: forbade me from giving his bio i will say fleet has led troops in the toughest combat that our nation served in over the past 20 years over and over and over again obviously a rack of ribbons obviously all of the special forces schools that uh, you can think of he's attended so you know thanks for coming on here you know it's interesting fleet when i think about you you're a very personable very humble leader and we here in CENTCOM, we talk about our leadership approach and our strategic approach, people, partners,
1: innovation. It seems to fit you very well. Thank you for that. To be honest with you, I think you hit on two key points, humility and being approachable. In fact, when I did my interview with General Carrilla, he- To take the job. To take the job. You know, he asked me, you know, where are some of the most important attributes that I believe in, how I would kind of describe myself as far as how I approach things. And I said, I believe in three simple things, sir and that is stay humble, stay approachable, and stay credible. And so the fact that you even said that kind of resonated with me, and that's exactly what I shared with uh, General Carrillo when I did my interview. Yeah, so people, partners, innovation, those are our strategic approaches. But along those lines, I I truly believe that our people are our most precious resource. We can't do anything without our people. And when I sat down with uh, some of our leaders to head up a working group, that General Carrillo wanted us to really take a look at. And the fact that he actually asked mm-hmm. myself, along with the senior non-commissioned officers within the enterprise to kind of take on this important endeavor during one of his commander's conferences, really kind of spoke volumes about his trust in his NCOs. So we kind of sat down, we looked at it, and mm. you know, what we came to realize was that the engine that really drives everything that we do, whether it's our operations, activities, whether it's in engagements with our partners, uh, as well as innovation, it all starts with our people. It's something that's critically important to us.
0: I feel like you are leading CENTCOM and advising the commander at a critical moment for CENTCOM at, at a period of transformation because we are, we've been drawing down from these wars. We've been talking about that for years, drawing down from these wars, and now we're actually in a, a period of significantly reduced force posture from what we had. And you, you see that. You've been to the region many times. You see that and you feel it in the region and talking to your partners. So we've got that. We're focusing now on innovation, the application of new technology, new ideas that will empower the force posture that we have in the region. So, And we're leaning on our partners. So with all that, what are you hearing from the force? What are you hearing from the enlisted force?
1: You allude to the fact that you know it's no secret that you know, we have seen... A significant decrease in some of the resources that we used to have in the heyday of the global war on terrorism. So we are seeing a little bit of a drawdown with regards to that. It is something that uh, our people do notice, they do talk about, but I think it doesn't consume them. I think they understand that the mission is still critically important what we do. We're definitely uh, focused on that and so uh, to be honest with you, I, I don't think they they put too much emphasis on the fact of what we don't have, mm-hmm. but rather what can we do? Uh, what what we have uh, currently? And so I think, you know, looking at leveraging different tools, as you alluded to, the innovation can be a force multiplier in and of itself. And so finding creative ways to solve some of these challenges that we're starting to see in the theater, but also leveraging technology with our partners as a force multiplier. And so some of the things that we've been looking at, and I think Task Force 59 our Navy component, mm-hmm. which has an innovation task force, is looking at leveraging unmanned platforms, kinda make up for some of that deficit when it comes to some of the resources that we used to have back in the day, but utilizing some of those capabilities to kinda ensure that we can maintain what we do in the theater for regional security and stability. That also goes along with some of the other components that are also created task forces in the innovation domain as well. That's task force 39 with our arsent our Army, uh, land component, as well as Task Force 99, our Air Force component. But yeah, it, it is something that the people definitely have noticed. But uh, w- we're very careful to ensure that we convey to our people is just because there is a drawdown in some of those resources does not make what we do in the theater just as important as it was yesterday. The reality is we have to be able to support the National Defense Strategy, which kind of gives us our guidance as far as the strategic security environment. And there are things that are happening in other places that may need a little bit more attention at this time. And so the resources have to come from somewhere. But at the same time, we, our leadership is quick to ma- remind what happens in CENTCOM doesn't stay in CENTCOM. We still need to have a sufficient and sustainable force posture to be able to do what we need to do. Uh, and so we need to have that credibility. And that comes from our force posture. But it is something that we pay particular attention to all the time.
0: And when we talk about new ideas and we talk about new technology, new processes, just new ways of thinking about these problems, are the troops bought in? Are they skeptical? Are they not paying attention to that? Or what do you think?
1: I think they're completely bought in, uh, to be honest with you. you. know, As you know, Joe, we did our Innovation Oasis, which is mm-hmm. our Shark Tank event, yep. in which we solicited ideas from across the enterprise on how we can do things better, smarter. Is there a new piece of technology that we could use to... You know, help us do what we need to do. And I would tell you, we had over, I think, 160 submissions from across the enterprise. We whittled it down to five finalists that we brought to the headquarters. We brought in leaders from industry for these individuals to actually pitch to not only General Carrillo and myself, but also some of the leading experts when it comes to technology, even the creative Shark Tank event. So. I think people are completely bought in. There was a lot of energy behind it, but I think the biggest thing that I've been hearing from during my travels is the fact that it doesn't matter who you are. You can be the most junior NCO to one of the most senior officers or civilian within the organization. And if you have an idea, the commander is willing to listen to you and take that on board. And so I think it just really sets a culture of empowerment, that everyone has a voice, and that our people really care and that we care about our people and what they think. You know, they are part of the team. Mm. And so I think people are buying in, and I think that's probably one of the things that I'm, I'm hearing when I travel across the joint force is some of the things that we're doing within CENTCOM. Mm-hmm. People want to come and, and be part of that, be part of that culture of, you know what, I have a voice. I'm empowered. I can contribute to solving some of the problems uh, that our four-star is faced with day in and day out.
0: And if you're looking to get your hands on new technology and looking to really apply new ideas, new concepts, JADC2, AI, machine learning, data analytics, uh-huh. this is the place to do it.
1: This is uh, this is absolutely.
0: You, the place you it. you're not just empowered to do it; you're encouraged to do it. And you know, you mentioned you described Innovation Oasis. We just want to say, uh, which was our service member Shark Tank competition. Mm-hmm. Episode two, Innovation Oasis episode two is set for May 25th. So we'll look to uh, even go bigger with this one. I want to talk a little bit about this uh, Warfighter Talks yep. the program you're running here. I've heard great reviews on this Warfighter Talks. Can you describe it for us?
1: Yeah. So Warfighter Talks is about investing in our people. We wanted to create some type of mechanism by which we can engage with our people and deliver instruction or mentorship on a myriad of different things to make the person better and so it can be from a professional context or from a personal context and so for example i end up uh sitting down with our people in the auditorium there and uh
0: this is in the enlisted
1: leaders correct
0: from the headquarters here in tampa
1: correct okay, correct and so i challenged uh, some of our most senior noncommissioned officers to come up with a topic du jour in which you thought if you were a young non-commissioned officer, you would want to hear from your, from one of your senior non-commissioned officers on whatever it may be. Maybe it might be on financial health. It might be on mental toughness. It might be on ethical decision making, whatever it may be. But I wanted to challenge our E9s to really kind of, you know, give back to our, to our junior personnel. And it could be not just the non-commissioned officers, but to, also to our civilians, mm-hmm. also to our officers. You know, it's a one team, one fight mentality here. And, and it's about giving back to our people.
0: You're doing something that is interesting. I hadn't heard of this before. Although although maybe this is there's a, a program similar to this that you're picking up on. But you go out to the region and you meet with the enlisted leaders from partnered militaries. That's and you know, I'm just curious, how are they empowered? Are they structured to do that or are the duties similar? How's that going?
1: It's going great. I will tell you I've had the opportunity to visit three countries that actually have a senior enlisted advisor to their chief of defense. Mm -hmm. It would be almost similar to what we call the SEAC, which is the senior enlisted advisor to the chairman. And so for Mm -hmm. us currently in in the U.S., that is Colon Lopez, Chief Master Sergeant uh, Colon Lopez, who serves as a senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And so we were looking to identify those countries that actually have an equivalent person where you have someone at the strategic level that is empowered to serve as an advisor to a chief of defense in a respective country within the AOR,
0: which and which three countries are that?
1: So so far, I've been able to visit Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and uh, spend some time with uh, Sergeant Major Mutiri. Uh, I've also been to Jordan to spend some time with Sergeant Major Mustafa, who's the SIAC equivalent. And then uh, my most recent trip has was to Abu Dhabi and UAE, mm-hmm. uh, where I had the chance to spend some time with Sergeant Major Abdullah Mohari. Mm-hmm. And so that was an incredible visit as well, as well as participate in their NCO symposium. So it wasn't just about going and spending time with these SEACs and learning more about what they do, but also to learn a little bit more about how they develop their NCOs. And so I've also had the chance, along with those visits, to visit some of the NCO academies. I visited the NCO academy there in UAE, as well as the NCO academy in Jordan. And it's just an opportunity where we can kind of share best practices. We do have a a phenomenal system within, uh, within the U.S. Uh, but I will have to tell you that thus far in visiting KSA, UAE, and Jordan, I've been quite impressed as to how much, you know, how far they've con- come in such a short period of time of empowering their people, but as well as investing in the development of their non officers. So I've been impressed, but I have to tell you, uh, you know, 21 countries that fall under the CENTCOM domain, so to speak, and purview, it's hit or miss, right? They're not all roses, to be honest with you. There is some work with some of the countries uh, that they need to do with regards to empowering uh, their non-commissioned officers, but also the development of their non-commissioned officers. I have to tell you also, I had a chance to visit Fort Bliss, Texas, and visit the Sergeant Major's Academy, and it was an opportunity to spend some time with eight of our partners that Mm -hmm. were going through the Sergeant Major course here in Fort Bliss, from five different countries. Mm-hmm. No major surprise that uh, there were members from the UAE that I talked about before, the Kingdom, Jordan. But there were also two other countries that actually invested the time and energy to send some of their senior non-commissioned officers to the Sergeant Major course there in Fort Bliss, Texas. One was Kazakhstan. And so they actually had two wow. uh, Kazakhs that were actually going through the Sergeant Major course. And interestingly enough also, it's no coincidence that Kazakhstan also has a SEAC equivalent. So we've been able to identify five countries out of the 21 to actually have created a SEAC position. And then interestingly, uh, there was also a student from Lebanon from the Lebanese uh, armed forces. And so that was, that was refreshing to see as well, but it was a great opportunity to spend some time. And so my hat's off to the army. One, they have a phenomenal course there at uh, NCO uh, leadership center of excellence. They are doing great things to help, you know, develop our partners to give them the cap- the capability and the capacity to kind of build out their NCO development uh, academies as well. Yeah, it's been great, and it's all about you know we talk about people, partners, and innovation, and we're doing a lot of things with the different components that fall under CENTCOM with mm-hmm. some of the regional constructs, right? So. You know, like the regional soft conference that we do, the the regional security chat conference that General Carrillo just recently had, the RC at the, you know, two-star level. There's all these things going on, but we also are doing it from an NCO perspective as well as far as engagements with our partners. And so we're actually going to have a senior enlisted advisor leadership symposium uh, here in May in Tampa. We're gonna be inviting the CX, those five CX that I talked about mm-hmm. earlier where I've been able to visit at least three. I will visit Kazakhstan here very soon, soon to meet with the, uh, their CX. But in turn, we plan on bringing them here to the headquarters and doing a two-day symposium with our partners and kind of just sharing best practices. This will, this will also include the component C-cells. Oh, wow. So the C-cell from Arsent, Absent, Nafsent Soxint, Spacecent, our newest one, and Marcint, uh will also be here, but we're also going to invite states to actually have a partnership program with some of the partners in the AOR. And so uh, they will be invited as well. And so this will be a tremendous opportunity to not only engage with our NCOs here, but also to engage uh, with General Carrillo as well. And I know he has made this a top priority uh, as far as uh, Engaging with the NCOs, engaging with our partners, the empowerment and the messaging that comes along, the strength that comes along with that. I want to
0: talk to you about two more things, maybe a little more personal here, and and thank you for all that. You know what what you're doing in the region. Obviously, it's important work, and it's important in the the development of those forces. But here in the U.S., you know, we think all the time, really since, as far as I can remember, like 2004, about the idea of resilience. I'm a soldier, so I, you know, soldier resilience, but service member resilience more broadly. You have obviously this background steeled in in Special Forces, Navy SEALs. And I've heard you talk about this and, and you have an interesting perspective on service member resilience, but what's your philosophy on that? We We're not gonna go down this
1: route, but no, it, no, it's, it's important. No, no, it's important. I it's it's skills, critically yeah. important. I, I will tell you one of the things that's kind of near and dear in my heart, and I know it's near and dear to the hearts of many of our leaders within our ranks is suicides. Mm. You know, that's one of the things, it's the reason why I kind of have these sessions where I talk about warrior toughness or the mental toughness piece, Mm -hmm. not only from an operational perspective to make us more effective and more lethal on the battlefield, but also to help our people learn how to cope with stressor events. And it could be on the battlefield, off the battlefield, uh, just at home. But how do you kind of deal with those stressor events where you think the best solution to your problem is to make make this irreversible act, Mm -hmm. which is to commit suicide. And so, you know, for me, resiliency is about overcoming whatever adversity it is. And and I actually don't like to use the term resiliency. I like to use toughness. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, when I talk about resiliency, resiliency to me is taking a hit and just getting back up. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's just surviving. Where toughness is taking a hit, getting back up and fighting, mm. right? So, and that's thriving mm-hmm. in the face of adversity. And So I look at surviving as one thing. You no, know, thriving in the face of adversity is another perspective. So I like I look I like to use the term toughness to be honest with you, and I do it from a a point where I'm just trying to give individuals and teach them the tools when it comes to. The mental factor. I call it the mental factor. A lot of toughness isn't about physical or how strong you are, but really your ability to kind of make it through whatever it is and come out on top. And that's one of the things about BUDS a lot of people don't realize, which is basic underwater demolition seal school. You know, we have about an 80%, 82% attrition rate. And really what it comes down to, a lot of people think it's if you can run fast, swim great, do the obstacle course, shoot, whatever. Those are all physical skill sets that we can teach you very easily, but really most of our attrition really comes from the mental aspect. Individuals deselecting themselves, or what we call DOR, Mm -hmm. drop on requests by ringing the bell, Mm -hmm. they just quit. And so what we've really started to do is we've realized that how we teach individuals to utilize the mental tools that are at their disposal, we can have a greater Level of success of making it through the program, and one of the things that we kind of really get into is what we call VAGS, which is visualization, arousal control, goal segmenting, and self-talk. And we kind of teach uh, those principles to the to the new candidates, and we found some great success when it comes to that. So not just in the schoolhouse itself, what we found is by just teaching our people some of these tools, just in everyday life, that actually it helps them out quite a bit. And so Toughness is something near and dear to my heart. And I just, like I said, I just don't do it from a perspective of, uh, from an operational perspective. That's just one aspect that you can get some goodness out of, Mm -hmm. but also just helping our people be able to cope with just the stressors of dealing with daily life.
0: And I think that there's perhaps a way of thinking that if you hit some kind of emotional flashpoint, that if you live through that, that's going to pass. And you're going to be fine. And there's people who care about you. And you're going to go on to the next thing.
1: Joe, I think you hit it right on point. One of the things that we found in the Navy, you know, we, 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 when we have suicides, we kind of do a little triage to find out what did we miss. Three of the things or those trigger points that we found within the Navy is what we call a fall from glory. I, you're about to go before a disciplinary review board or whatever it may be. We call that fall from glory. Relationship and financial. You know, those stressor events are just a period in time. Those will go away.
0: And you're going to find new opportunities.
1: You're going to find new opportunities. And here's the interesting piece. The point from which a person actually has an ideation to when they commit, you know, the act, the irreversible act, it's generally within 10 minutes. And oh. We call that uh, that amygdala hijacking. It's yeah. that in the moment, you're not thinking straight, disengage your prefrontal cortex, and you're thinking with your primitive brain that this could be the solution to the problem. And as I talked about earlier just teaching someone how to arousal control, how to suppress that flooding of hormones and emotions that are going in into whatever that stressor event is. If you can just kind of cope through that and realize if you sleep on it, you realize it's not so bad. Things will get better with time. But within that first 10 minutes, teaching someone how to recognize when you're in the red zone, how to kind of re-engage your prefrontal cortex and your higher brain, that, you know what, you can actually rationalize to whatever the situation may be. You
0: mentioned your Navy SEAL training, and I remember you, you and I were traveling together once, and you got to, we got to one of these countries, and there was another Navy SEAL there. There was an immediate sort of like brotherhood, it was a bond, it was a connection. How important is that trident and, and that tie to that community to your identity?
1: It's important. I think it's important in any profession of arms, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. That, that brotherhood, that sisterhood that you build really is the glue that keeps you together when you're under fire, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. you know, when you're thinking about a person to your left and to your right and to your six, it's amazing what you can do. When you have their interests as a top priority, it, it's, it's, just, it's that force multiplier. It's that decisive advantage that you can have on the battlefield. And it's something that we kind of really instill From day one, when you show up there in Coronado, California, and you walk the hollow grounds of what we call the grinder, and you class up with your mates, we really go a long ways to kind of instill that sense of team. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually on the grinder, there's a sign that it says, and it says on the grinder right there, it says, abandon self, embrace team. Mm -hmm. And so it's a daily reminder when you're out there getting chewed up there at PT, that it's all about the person to your left and to your right. Now, we often use the term, long live the brotherhood, and it just stays with us throughout. And so, when I, when I do travel and I see that trident, there's that instant connection because you have that same common reference starting point that you've been through, you know, adversity together, and you kind of have that common understanding. And it just, it, just, it just really instills that, that camaraderie that is free to core, so to speak, which is critical. When it comes to the profession of arms,
0: maybe the last thing to land on here, and I do hope you come back. You have a great family, and and, and you know I, don't, I know you don't want to talk too detailed about your family, but you, yeah. you do have a great family and very close. I know that's really important to you, keeping that together and that communication. That that's to be with all the combat and all the deployments. That's really to be commended, and you're, frankly, your wife is to be commended for that as well as you. How do you? How have you maintained that work-life balance, and how do you look at it now? That you're in a pretty high-profile, high-pressure job.
1: Well, thank you for mentioning the family piece uh, because that's a big part of when we talk about people. Mm-hmm. It's not just our people at work, but also our family members because mm-hmm. they're a critical component of what we do. If we've been married for 29 years, mm-hmm. coming up on 30 years. It is tough. It is a challenge, especially early in you know, the early days of mm-hmm. doing deployments. It's a little bit less now. It's a little bit more repeated trips instead of longer deployment trips. But finding that work-life balance is critically important. I, I used to, you know, and I went to a rough spot for a period of time there because I almost, I was so invested in, in the work piece. Mm-hmm. And so what I try to tell a lot of the, our young soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and guardians now when I kind of get out and about, when I talk about families, it's kind of like a bank account. You know, you can only make so many withdrawals before you bankrupt it. You know, I found my myself at a period in time when I would volunteer for platoons. After wrapping up a a deployment, I would come back and say, put me back in coach. I want to do another platoon. And actually, I actually had the opportunity to do three tours as a platoon chief, which is rare. We don't do that nowadays. You do a platoon chief tour Mm -hmm. and you'll probably promote to E8. Mm -hmm. And then you do a troop chief, which is our leadership position for our senior chiefs. Mm -hmm. You know, I was able to I was fortunate enough to do three tours as a platoon chief, and we just don't do that. But that was me self-sacrificing my family for work. Mm -hmm. And what I found was it almost broke my relationship and my marriage. You know, you have to have that work-life balance. You know, you can't continue to make those withdrawals uh, because you will go bankrupt. So you have to look at investing into that relationship as well. And so finding that work-life balance is critically important, but you also have to have A spouse that is supportive as well. My family has been truly supportive. We have three kids. We've been married 29 years, and it's the same thing with your kids, you know what I mean? Because there's a critical development period for your kids, and you have to be around as well as much as possible to help help with that as well. So yeah, it's important to everything that we do, and that's why we try to go to Extra Mile to include our families Mm -hmm. uh, in some of the events that we do here at the headquarters. And so we, we think the family is a critical component, not only to our people, but us and our ability to execute the mission day in, day out.
0: And I know that when you say, you know, people, partners, innovation, people, includes caring for our families, it includes caring for our people beyond their lifespan and their service to CENTCOM, beyond their service within the US military, but their entire existence, their entire lifespan, whatever they're gonna do after the military, whatever their families have gone on after the military, that's what care for people means.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, Fleet, look, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your leadership. And uh, we got to have you back on.
1: No, this has been great, Joe. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate what you're doing and, you know, getting the message out to the people. This is a great headquarters. We're celebrating 40 years, 40 years. of warfighting excellence. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that this headquarters has been on the front lines of executing. You know, we just want to make sure that we continue to tell that story. And if anyone's interested in being part of this team, uh, we definitely are always looking for talent out there. I think this is a phenomenal headquarters, and uh, the mission's critically important, and uh, we definitely value what our people bring to the fight. And So, yeah, more great things to come. But I look forward to doing the next engagement as well, Joe, so thank you for this opportunity.
0: More great things to come. Thanks so much, Fleet. All right, brother. Take care. Bye.